I'm Jeff Gibson. And I'm Shannon Baxton. And we are the, the movie, movie lovers. lovers. Welcome Hello. to the official podcast of the Gibson Review. In each episode, we talk about our week in review, move on to the main event, which is typically a topic of discussion or a main review. And then we typically finish our episode with film faves, our respective lists of 12 favorite movies around a particular topic, often marching back through time. And not this time! That is accurate. This time is a little bit different. We have a kind of a big episode. We're going to talk a little bit about what we've been watching in our week in review before having a double main event and no film faves this time. Sorry, no film faves because we are doing two main events first is a review of deadpool 2 and next will be a review of solo a star wars story so if you're averse to spoilers for either of those movies you'll definitely want to check out the show notes on the timestamps of where spoilers begin and end but for we each will of those warn you, of course yes but if you're averse to spoilers for deadpool 2 but you want to hear about star uh, solo a star wars story Definitely pay attention to the timestamp on this uh, spoilers when they begin and when it ends. Uh, so you can definitely avoid those issues. So, with that all explained and out of the way, let's start with our week in review. Shanna, I don't think either of us have had any time alone to be able to watch things on our own. Uh, we've been watching a few things together, mostly TV shows. Let's start with uh, what I introduced to you, which is 1994's miniseries, The Stand. Oh, we're going to start there. Yes. So for those who are not familiar, The Stand was a huge ABC miniseries event based on Stephen King's epic novel about uh, basically an apocalypse, a virus uh, plague-induced apocalypse that leads to a battle between good and evil. Epic, uh, huge cast of characters, which is, of course, met with an epic cast of uh, performers. Uh, directed by Mick Garris, who has done a few other adaptations of Stephen King's. Uh, Shanna, before I talk about my thoughts and feelings about The Stand, which I have a little bit of a history with, Shannon, why don't you talk about your impression? Your, you, I showed you this because you're a big fan of post-apocalyptic stories. You're a big fan of good versus evil stories often. How did The Stand measure up to you in your first viewing? I really didn't like this show. Oh my gosh! I okay, to, why? I why? try to think of things that I may have possibly liked. Uh-huh. That's always a good idea. And so what I did like about it is I did like the cast. Yeah? The casting was great. Okay. Who was some of the standouts um, for you? So is it Rob Lowe? Yeah, Rob Lowe, yeah. Yeah. I love him. Yeah. Um, and I like the character he played because I thought he was totally cast well for that because he is that sweet, sincere, all over his face type of actor yeah his character uh, for those who don't know is nick andros who is a mute mm -hmm. and then is it gary sinisi uh sinise gary sinise gary sinise i've always been a fan of him um and that's 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 about it for now for me 
um, oh, no. that I like. Oh, no. <laughs> you know, you keep using this word epic, 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 epic. And I'm like, I really don't agree. I don't feel this was epic in any shape or fashion. Can you explain that? Because that's a, a I feel very... like it's all very slow and that there's nothing really dramatic about it. And because there's nothing really? like dramatic about it, it feels very dry to me. If there is drama to it, I guess it's just really dry and it's just not what I like. I thought it was incredibly slow unnecessarily at certain points. I felt like certain characters didn't make sense. What's a good example of that? Well, who Flag ends up with, Nadine. Ah. Nadine's character doesn't make sense. Why is that? They don't do enough explaining of who or what she is. She's just this crazy thing that's haunted by Flag, and eventually, you know, stuff happens to her with Flag and. Flag, by the way, is, for clarification, the personification of evil in this story. In the, in the book, The Stand, he is a character who's referred to as the walking dude and a few other things that actually it is someone who appears in other Stephen King books. There you go. Well, there you go. You know, I kept wanting more, and I kept thinking, oh, it's going to get exciting, it's going to get exciting. Uh-huh. But, like, at one point, we were, you know, lying on the couch, and, like, I don't remember which episode it was, but I was like, why am I doing this to myself? Oh, shit. You know, so... And it's only, what, four episodes long? Uh, four 90-minute episodes long or something like that? Total of six hours? And it's 90 minutes too long. Like, it should have been an hour each. Well, it was... At, uh, at the time that it aired, it was four episodes that were two hours long with commercial breaks, of course, right? So it was like ABC had... It was an event. Um, actually, we... I almost forgot this. We happened to watch The Stand. I thought you were going to mention that. In, in the uh, 24th anniversary, because it came out in May, May of 1994. And we happened to watch it on the exact dates of May that it aired. I can't, I'm, I'm spacing on what dates they, those were, but. Um, did, like, it did not air on the 10th. Right. And we watched Sesame Street, my first Sesame Street episode that night instead. So, but We're it was just... like two hour blocks from eight to 10 o'clock mm-hmm. each of those nights back uh, mm-hmm. back then. Mm-hmm. So when you take out the commercial breaks, they're like roughly like 90 minute episodes. But I think to wrap up my thoughts, it felt like it, it, it was an epic book and mm. it didn't translate into an epic enough TV show for me. I felt mm. very bland wow. and boring, wow. except for the part when everyone was dying because I, th- I didn't know you didn't tell me anything. Yeah. And I thought they were all going to turn into zombies. So I'm like waiting, 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 uh, waiting, and nothing happened. Right. And I was like, they just died. Is, is, is this it? It's called this a plague. Is, this is it. <laughs> this is all we get. <laughs> so, no, I, I don't really recommend that show. Oh, man. I think that you're more attached to the memory of it airing and the experience of watching it the first time. That's definitely an element. I, mm-hmm. I will do the opposite of what I normally do. I'll start with what what really struck me as uh, not holding up, watching it now. And I can talk about that too. 
okay, so maybe you can feed off of what, what I what input I have. So on the one hand, the TV production values of the time definitely show. It's not as bad as Stephen King's It from 1990. If anybody remembers when I talked about that, like it, it's that miniseries, which is like a two-parter, is really creaky uh, in its TV production values. This is, it, it, the values are aged in a different way. And it's kind of a double-edged sword in a way because on the one hand, oh gosh, you know, it's, you know, we have shows like The Walking Dead and stuff that look a lot, lot better, right? But on the other hand, think about it this way. You could almost divide the history of TV by before Lost and Battlestar Galactica, which both came out in 2004, 10 years after the series, and after Lost and Battlestar Galactica. Those two shows really changed the game on what TV production values are or what they could be. And when you look at it that way, I think while the production values of The Stand definitely show for its era, before Lost, before Battlestar Galactica, it actually is probably as good as it got. I defy anyone including you shanna to really think of something that came out in that era let's say between 1980 and the year 2000 let's say that was superior in its tv production values to what the stand is going for i mean this is a mini series that has multiple locations throughout the country right you have maine you have texas you have la you have parts of california you have new york yeah, uh, uh, Colorado, all these different places, right? All over the country. That's a huge scope. When you say that you, you, you feel that there's an epic quality to it, I'm really, really surprised because I, I feel like the scope of it alone taking um, place in so many places in itself lends to a certain scale. But getting back on task of what I, what I think wasn't great about the show... I think, um, yes, the production values to a certain perspective is a little weak. I think the best way to speak to the, the weaknesses of the show is to say its strengths is largely its characters, right? And, and, and to an extent, its, its scope of storytelling. You could quibble probably the, the quality of the storytelling itself were certain characters well developed did something things make a whole lot of sense all that sort of stuff but i think the characters are really the strength of it and i can say that now because when you get to the end of the series and i won't be specific but the very end it does this brief little montage of characters on the good primarily and you see these flashes of these characters who died throughout the series and I found myself getting really affected by that montage and it's because I actually did grow to care and love many of these characters both ones who died and ones who lived you pointed out Rob Lowe he's great in this series I love his Nick Andros I think you know Ray Walston as Glenn Bateman is quite lovable. I think 
Molly Ringwald as Franny, probably the only really likable female character in the entire saga. Uh, I really enjoyed Gary Sinise. You know, he has a sort of everyman kind of quality to him, you know, and I think that that's supposed to be inherent in his character, Stu Redman. And it's tried to be conveyed when Stu Redman steps into a leading position in the council and such, right? Miguel Ferrer, uh, Ferrer is probably one of the only guy, only characters in the evil side that I actually like had any affinity for. That's one of the weaknesses of it is I feel like I have more of a connection to uh, the good characters than any of the bad characters, you know? Like, they're so bad. A trash Can Man by Matt Frewer is kind of a cool character. But He's on the, the whole... one that likes explosives. And yeah, yeah, yeah. My life for you. All that sort of stuff. That's all Matt Frewer's uh, Trash Can Man. Harold Louder is probably one of the least likable characters in the entire saga, played by Corin Nimick. Not very many characters on the bad side can I say, oh, yeah, I loved him. He was so cool to watch, or I really enjoyed him. I love the girl that we met. You love the crazy girl, which yeah. I was really surprised by. Uh, that girl was played by Shawnee Smith, who's a character oh, actress. Here's why I liked her. It felt like she was committed to the role. Uh, that's yeah. for sure. That's for sure. I don't think, um, though, that she's the only one that, that you could make that claim to. I know well, you... I think Rockla was committed. I you sure? I think that Sinise was committed to his role. I sure. can see that. But I can't see that with a bunch of other people. So mm. There's a lot to chew on with this series as a whole. I think uh, you have characters like Adam Stork's Larry Underwood, who is a character that you were not really impressed by at first. But what I remembered about Larry Underwood, the musician, is that he is one of the characters that has the biggest arc in the series. Yes, but his arc kind of... I feel like you notice it in like the last episode. Oh, really? That's I, I, well, I, I would say like you, it's, you feel it the most in the last episode, but I, I feel like it's kind of gradual, you know, uh, even though he kind of represents, at least to Nadine, the, one, the only thing that she can cling to on the good side, and, and she gets rejected by him. Like he, he rejects her because he has picked up on his journey a woman and a boy and has created a family out of those two not something that's terribly well developed but it, it, it is there and when you consider that he starts out the uh the series being this guy who's very superficial the way he talks is very like superficial he's well, all he's about money and success He's more than trying to get by. I mean, he's very much of the L.A. culture, and he's not just, like, a musician of merit. He is a, He's someone who's trying to hit the charts. He's trying to hit number one. He's trying to get, like, financial success and women well, and everything. Well, I feel like you could have goals, except for <laughs> the woman thing. Right, right, yeah, but he becomes something a little bit more, uh, someone with more substance, as the series goes along. He's not someone that you would think would be one of the primary characters who's going to stand up against evil and, and potentially make the ultimate sacrifice. I could obviously go on for a long time yes. about this series. <laughs> is there anything else? Do you want to have any final words? My final on this one? words is that 
when you're going to create something epic, your cinematography needs to be top-notch, and it was mm. not, even for the time. It could have been better. Fair enough. So that's Stephen King's The Stand, the miniseries from 1994. Uh, I'm not really sure if it's where you can find it to stream at all, but we had a DVD copy of it. And, hey, maybe there's going to be a remake of it sometime. And this, I think we can both agree, would not be a terrible example of uh, something that could be improved on. Yes, it almost feels like it was made at the incorrect time. Great actors, mostly. Definitely. But it, it maybe wasn't meant to be made at that point. Fair enough. Next, I finally caught up with you with Big Little Lies. Finally. My fourth time watching it. Yes, I was about to say. So, do you mind if I share my thoughts on Big Little Lies first? Because I know you've talked in a previous episode uh, when you discovered the series. Yes, you can go first and then I can defend everything that Big Little Lies is after you've <laughs> shared your thoughts. Okay, so here's the thing been a lot of hype around Big Little Lies, right? This was like one of the shows of the year. The only thing bigger than this was The Handmaid's Tale, right? Which I still haven't seen, right? And you you, you were very much like, episode one ends, what'd you think? With its huge hype, I expected it to be partially one of these things that you instantly like have an immediate reaction to, right? But I think also partially, like, because there's so much hype around it, there was a tiny bit of resistance of hoping that it lives up to it. I think my biggest takeaway of this show is it's really more of a slow burn. It's not the kind of series where I instantly had a feeling about it, good, bad, you know, strong one way or, or another. It's a series that you pretty much have to watch all seven episodes and see the full picture before you can have an opinion of it, which is unlike a lot of shows. You know, usually you can watch three, maybe four episodes at the very most before you really know what your feelings are on it. I think from a feminist perspective, I totally get the hype. But only because I've seen the last episode. Like, everything pays off, I feel like, primarily in the last episode. What is interesting about the series, I will say, is it does give you different perspectives and angles of what it's like to be a woman. Some are more developed than others. Like, I wouldn't say it gives a nuanced perspective of what it's like to be a woman of color and maybe that's because of the environment that it's chosen to be set at which is this very affluent california coastal area called monterey which is not la this is not santa monica i think you forgot to say it's majorly white yes it is that very upper class white Private, uh, private school, right? No, no the public it's a public school. Yeah, it's a good public school. It's a very, a very good public school. So good you think it's a private school. Um, it's, it's that, like, higher end. But even though it's this is not a, a show about women of color, there is one cast member who is of color. That's Zoe Kazan. Uh, Kravitz. Kravitz. I almost said Zoe Kazan. That's a different actress. It's Kravitz's daughter. Yeah, Zoe Kravitz's um, character is like the one representation of color but she's really like a supporting character uh, i should take a step back this stars uh reese witherspoon nicole kidman shailene woodley laura dern adam scott 
a very unrecognizable Jeffrey Nordling, who I really appreciated seeing, and, uh, of course, Zoe Kravitz. I think this is the best performance piece of several of this cast. Uh, it's the best of Shailene Woodley's since The Descendants. It's the best of Nicole Kidman's in 10 years. Hers is the most impressive for me because I almost wrote her off. And there was a time when I was a, a fan of Nicole Kidman and it, that time was before her plastic surgery. When I saw her give performances post-plastic surgery in movies like The Rabbit Hole, where she is playing a, a wife and a mother, I could not believe her. She took away all her credibility as a certain type of character because you could see the money on her face, so to speak. She's come back into her own in this, uh, in this series. Uh, and she gives a very, uh, very interesting and very powerful performance that the power of which you only, it only builds gradually throughout the series, right? It's not a powerful performance upon first glance in the first episode. I'm, I'm actually quite impressed with her in this series. I think this is Reese Witherspoon's best performance since Wild in 2014. And Laura Dern while a very challenging character to like her she she definitely commits to it so i like the series but i also feel like this is a story that is good on its own i do not need to see more especially with the direction that it's going it teases this whole detective who's not going to give up and is going to watch these girls and that's going to be the, the plot line of, of season two. This detective who's going to get to, root the, to the root of what actually happened. I'm not interested in that. That's a tired storyline. I couldn't care less. I was quite content with how where the storyline ends with this group of women. I think it's powerful enough as is. That's probably enough out of me. Shanna, do you have anything to react to about what I oh, said? Oh, yes, I took notes. So here we go. <laughs> you know, you talked about the hype around the TV show. Yeah, there's hype around it because all these women are real. Yeah, absolutely. There, there's big themes, all the way from big themes to small lines. Like Reese Witherspoon is just, she's, I think it's halfway through the series and she's just exhausted by everything she's participating in. And her daughter won't fucking go to sleep. And so oh, yeah. she says, you never sleep. And it's, you can miss it because it's happening amongst all the other drama that's occurring and it's what every single person who's ever looked after a child never mind you know a parent uh, can relate to totally so, agree absolutely so you know you've got the bigger themes that are domestic abuse and date rape and i mean you've you've got uh, infidelity you've mm -hmm. got holding grudges yeah so many yeah. different things so I think the hype is, you know, because there's real stuff here yeah. that everybody can either empathize for or has been through personally. Absolutely. And even the, the, uh, the gossip aspect of it in, in this community, I think, is relatable as well, too. So I totally get that. I, I agree with you. Yeah, and it's, it's very interesting because Laura Dern's character, you can tell, like, she is not the gossiping person. Mm. 
but like just about everybody else is at different levels. Yeah. And you can tell like the scum is the the are the people that are I really want to say the South African term for gossiping, so I'm just going to go ahead and do it. That's the word skinnering. You know, the the scum is all the people that are skinnering nonstop and getting involved when they shouldn't, when it's not necessary. No one is asking you to get involved. Mm. This is a petty little thing. You don't have to be involved in this. You know, you mentioned all the awards. You mentioned, like, best performances since XYZ. I I think you're pretty accurate about that. Mm. Everybody that got an award, any award this show received was, you know, they they deserved it. Mm. Yeah, I'm not sure, like, who who won awards uh, for it. I am going to take note of your comment on Nicole Kidman and the plastic surgery. I know that you personally don't like it when people get plastic surgery, but... Plastic surgery aside, that's your own prejudice, and she's not doing anything wrong with how she chooses to use her body. I think it takes away from the uh, genuine nature of trying to pretend to be somebody. If you have really puffy, uh, fake-looking lips or whatever, and you're trying to play someone who could never afford what it takes to have those really puffy fake looking lips you're you're basically your face is betraying your performance okay but that aside let her be well and that that's what i was referring to i'm coming to defend her Mm. like you can't be judging someone just by their looks especially a woman in hollywood with this stereotypical expectations okay that's not fair. but i'm not i'm anchoring it in her work you say that the tv show is good on its own well, you know, I, I'm going to be perfectly frank here. You, you're a man, and there are many amazing male characters in television and film throughout history. Sure. I don't think that you're as hungry or ravenous as women are for this kind of thing. It's not just your typical Grey's Anatomy drama, drama, drama. I agree. Thing. I agree. This is something else, and yes. could it be improved with certain representations? Uh, yeah, but you know, you say, oh, it could just be its own thing. No, I think it could. I think it could expand. Should it be solely from the detective's perspective? Should the second season be that? No, like. It doesn't have to be about the detective. The detective can be really at a distance. Wow. And we could see her scenes every now and again. We don't. Ha- it doesn't have to be about her. She doesn't have to be at the front. Okay, but we can see that if there's anything that's going to lead us into a second season, that is the thing. That is the one like plot point that's going to carry over. And I'm not interested in that. Why not have this as its uh, as you know its own island and make more content that feature uh, women that are just as complicated? Why continue well, yeah, that's, this? That's where The Handmaid's Tale comes in, you know, and and other shows are being developed. I'm sure I don't have any examples, but sure. I'm sure this has inspired, you know, different things. I hope so. All the different hashtags that we've had the past year. But I, I do disagree with you. I want to see them deal with the aftermath of the last episode. There's a lot that can be 
drawn from there, depicted from there. There's oh. there's lots. I have questions. I really do. I can't I get into it. I just have to say we agree to disagree, and and leave it at that without getting into the the specifics. So, but that's that's all I I have to say about the series. Do you have anything else? I think else? it's a fantastic show. It and. Very good. I think everybody should watch it. And you can find it now on HBO Now and HBO Go. HBO Go, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Really briefly, lastly, we watched uh, 1998's Blade. Oh, are we talking about it? Yes. Starring Wesley Snipes, Chris Christopherson. So fun. Wesley Snipes is great. Stephen Dorff. This was Marvel's first legit film. A lot of people think it's Spider-Man or X-Men. No, this came out two years before X-Men. Released in New Line Cinema. And it was like Marvel decided to start with a hard R movie about a half-vampire, half-human who's going around killing vampires and who's the subject of a, a rape, basically. A vampire rape. This is, I mean, this is kind of bold and edgy choice of Marvel to start out with. Not, not... Not something as safe as Spider-Man. What were your thoughts of Blade? This was pretty much your first time seeing the movie, yeah? Yes, except I saw the end. <laughs> You've seen <laughs> the end before. I've seen the end before, and it just didn't make sense to me. So, yeah. anyway, what did I think? I I really liked how Wesley Snipes portrayed the character. Yeah? I really got a kick out of his his humor of achievement of killing vampires in certain ways and i was like you go boy you have a good time (laughs) you have obviously trained all your life and you've got a ton of rage and your only source of humor is like how interestingly and amusingly you can kill you know the vampires yeah your 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 target essentially Mm. at the end there's special effects and this explains why i never went back to it and forgot Mm. that i'd seen the end the special effects is just Someone needs to go back in there and clean that up. <laughs> it's pretty atrocious. It, yeah. Just go clean it up. I promise you it'll be worth it. No one's going to judge you. It's not going to be a like, oh, well, George Lucas went back and did X, Y, Z. Nobody's going to judge you. It's going to be great. <laughs> it's going to be great. Because I don't know. I'm Some telling of you. Just... No, 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 no. I'm telling you. I mean, first year photography students could do better yeah. than that shit. Pretty Concept bad. was awesome. Okay. They need to go back in there and fix that. Yeah. And take care of that mess. But otherwise, I, I thought it was kind of cool. And there's a lot of concepts, you know, vampire culture that you, you see that mm. are used in True Blood and mm. the TV show. And I always, I always thought that True Blood was phenomenal. So it was just really fun. I, like every time something happened, I was like, oh, yeah, I know about that. And you were yeah. like, really? So... Yeah. I think the movie's okay. I think, just like the first X-Men movie, at this point, it's okay. Our standards are so much higher now for superhero movies. Um, I think, yeah, the special effects really weigh the movie down in its quality. Pretty awful. Pretty awful. Put it in context, this is the year before The Matrix. So they definitely... Yeah. I mean, it's pretty clear they didn't have the budget to make the special effects fantastic. Uh, it's pretty awful. Well, and it um, looks like they didn't even try with practical special effects. No, I don't think they tried at all. And also, on top of that, sometimes the action choreography is a little silly. 
you know. Um, yes. It tries very hard to be badass. It mm-hmm. tries very hard to be badass. It's very much of of its time in that way. Uh, this is a year after Spawn came out, which I've never seen um, that. It's it was a very mediocre, to be generous, uh, dark anti-hero, uh, also African American superhero movie. I think it was PG thirteen, but it really should have been R. What the fuck? But, uh, you know, this came out after that. It's, it's just kind of just following this trend of this, you know, badass characters. And sometimes, it, you know, it's trying a little hard. It's trying a little hard, and it shows. And it's kind of silly as a result. There's there's some stuff to enjoy. I would say, like, you know, 50, 60% of the movie is enjoyable. But not great. Definitely not great. So, uh, yeah, that's Blade, the vampire hunter movie <laughs> starring Wesley Snipes. And the first legit Marvel movie. All right. Let's get into our first main event, shall we? Speaking of Marvel movies, let's talk about our review of Deadpool 2. from the trailer to Deadpool 2. How we typically frame our reviews is first talk about the good, what we liked about a movie, before moving on to the bad, what we think didn't work about a movie, having general thoughts, and then spoilers, uh, which we will definitely warn of when it's time for spoilers and, and final thoughts. Uh, so Shanna, Deadpool. We both enjoyed the first Deadpool film, like somewhere around 2015. It's quite a surprise. We had a great experience with it. We had a bizarre experience because we had two young kid next to us, right? We were three in total. Three in total. I only remember the one right no, next no. to you. No, 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 no. There were three. Okay. It was one of those weird experiences where parents were taking their kids just because there was a superhero and fuck the R rating because apparently it doesn't matter. Um, well, it definitely mattered. And... So, let's start with what you liked about Deadpool 2. 
there were no children in the cinema. <laughs> that is it very was, true. It was so great. Yeah, people learned. I was about to get pissy. Yeah, people learned. That's that's very true. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I have very mixed feelings about this movie, and I feel like I can only talk more openly in spoilers. Yes. But I'll do the best I can without signaling anything that could be at all spoilery. Well, I think most of what you want to talk about that's spoilery is what you didn't like about the movie, yeah? Is that fair? Well, it's all connected, isn't it? Uh, so, <laughs> is it? What, what did you like about the movie? Just... So what I enjoyed about the movie was, you know, Deadpool puts a team together. Yeah. And just the banter that was going on there was just fantastic. Um, you know, in the trailer, you see they're hiring people. Yeah. And one of the people that he decides to hire is just an ordinary guy, nothing special about him. He's Peter. just a yeah, he's yeah. just a Peter. You know, he <laughs> Peter has this moment where he's like, Oh shit, well maybe I shouldn't be involved yet. You know, it's like his aha moment. Yeah. So you know, Dead Deadpool can see he's cracking a little bit and so he gives this like army sergeant briefing chit chat there's no time for this shit yeah moron you know and he's like peter's just put sunscreen on and deadpool's just finished shouting essentially to peter but to the rest of the plane yeah of his team and he looks at peter and he says don't worry sugar bear i won't let anything happen to you (laughs) Yeah. It was great because now I want to call everybody Sugar Bear, oh, <laughs> especially the children I look after. It's like, I'll never let anything happen to you, Sugar Bear. So there's a lot of good humor moments. There's some uh, other fun stuff that I'll get into later. Um, I enjoyed Cable. I thought Cable was fantastic mm. until he was speaking. He was you know, speaking us through something so we couldn't see him. We just saw his memory or something. I can't remember what it was exactly. Okay. And I thought that Thanos was talking to us. Oh, no. It was just a slight moment. I'm still horrified about Infinity. Infinity War, yeah. Infinity War. Anyway, I don't have a lot to say that I like in the non-spoiler section. So is it fair to say you don't really like the movie? No, I, I like the movie. There's just, there's other stuff I can speak about later. Okay. So, what I liked about the film, I thought, first of all, I will say I did like the movie. I did have fun with the movie. I think it's, it is a lot of fun, even if it's not as good as the first movie. I think that's fair to say, right? Uh, It's definitely not a step above the first movie. I think one of the things that you're trying to illustrate is the sense of humor. I think that's consistent with the first film. It is absolutely hilarious. There are a lot of laughs to be had in this film. There are also a lot of gasps to be had in this film. As there's there's some surprise moments. Yeah? Mm -hmm. This film does append expectations. Uh, X-Force is one of those things that it it really surprises you uh, with. And we can talk more about X-Force in particular in spoilers, but that is one of the strengths. Domino in particular is a strength in this film. She's kind of a scene stealer, I think. I'm going to stop you there. I did love her. Yeah. She was like my favorite part. She is fantastic. There is a surprise character 
that shows up. I wasn't sure what that character is going to be. I thought it might be one character we have seen in a handful of X-Men movies before. It ends up being a different character. Uh, that reveal was really cool. It is the best version of that character so far on screen. I thought that was really awesome. Cable. Uh, while they do not get into the <laughs> the complications of that is Cable uh, being a <laughs> a son of a clone of Jean Grey and Scott Summers who was sent into the future to save him to become to be trained as a soldier who comes back in time to stop a future where apocalypse rules. It does avoid all of that, right? But it does get to the essence, as I expected it would try to do, of who Cable is, which mm -hmm. is basically this gristled soldier from the future who can uh, slide through time and um, is partially bionic. Oh, and we didn't get into the whole legacy virus and his, psion his uh, psionic powers that stave off that... that uh, it wasn't legacy virus, my bad. He had a techno-organic virus, sorry. That's why he's um, he's got the cybernetic side. We didn't. I'm pushing up my glasses, getting real comic booky. But um, we don't get into that. But what we do get is actually really cool. Josh Brolin gives a really awesome performance um, as Cable. I would love to see more of Cable in this. Uh, his banter with Deadpool, a lot of fun, really cool. Uh, basically, Deadpool's banter with anybody in this movie is a lot of fun and really cool. You he know? would be a cool dad. I yeah, I think. Yeah, that said, there are a few issues with the movie that I can even speak to that are non-spoilery. Uh, but first, Shanna, do you have anything that you thought was not so great about this movie that you can talk to, speak to? Yeah, that's non-spoilery. Yeah. So in Deadpool one, I would I believe I was okay with all the jokes. Mm -hmm. I can't think of anything that stands out to me where I was like, oh, we took it too far, or oh, yeah. that's just, that's, why is that in there? There were a couple of those moments, unfortunately, in the sequel, where I was like, why is that joke in there, and mm -hmm. why is that character saying that, and why is that character doing X, Y, Z? That's too far. But it's Deadpool, and so I, I think that that kind of character, that kind of movie is going to thrive off of pushing the envelope, ripping it open uh, <laughs> yeah. on either side. Mm -hmm. So there is no side. Fair enough. Um, so that was, you know, the dislike that I had that I can mention. There was one fight scene that was a little too CG for me. Oh, which one was that? It's, it's between Cable and another character that's revealed later. Okay. Yeah. I don't remember it, so you'll have to remind me during spoilers. Well, it was really funny because Deadpool's like, and now for an awesome CG. Oh, yeah, yeah. Best yeah. part of our budget. But, you know, something to that effect. And I felt like you didn't have to CG it that much. Uh, I felt like the first movie, yeah, it had CG, but I feel sure. like there were a lot of uh, practical things happening too, or seemingly practical things. I mean, I would say that's the case too in this film. I just... That particular scene. Hmm. Uh, that's all I can think of. Maybe I can build on whatever you didn't like. Well, the, the, one of the issues I did have with it is the humor in the last act does start to wear a little thin. I'm not going to say that there's no effective jokes made in the third act, 
but there are some obvious there I, I was rolling my eyes more than i have before during the third act mm-hmm. let's put it that way i think as much as i uh like tj miller i think there's a couple lines he delivers that were a little too obvious a little unnecessary what well, uh, i felt like it felt wasn't flat. i felt like it wasn't him i don't feel like he would have done that in the first one fair enough but yeah, I, I had issues with the humor as well. Another issue I had is Colossus never is not metal. Because he's that, not worth... <laughs> it really drove me nuts. It's I mean, not worth seeing him without the metal. Uh-huh. Really? Not seeing, you know, it's not worth seeing this guy with huge muscles? No, but he's bigger when he's Colossus. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, but that did bug me because, like, for those who don't know you're gonna get the wrong impression like colossus is not stuck being metal like the guy can go to the bathroom if he needs to you know okay but come on i mean like who do you think is watching this do you really think people are going into this film not knowing anything about the marvel and x-men culture yes okay then they're enjoying themselves pretty much yeah but it doesn't make sense in that sense you know is it supposed to like I don't it's know. It just—it really bugs me. It just—it's okay. just one of the things that really right, bugs, bugs me. Is, is uh, Colossus even in his downtime hanging out at the mansion? He's you know <laughs> reading a book. He, he could da, be da, 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 da. yeah reading a book or you know he's an artist. You know he's not going to be doing that at, in metal. He does it when he has to on a mission. So that bugged me. And then well oh and and then like um, one of the main drivers of the plot is this place called the Essex Institute. Which I think I could talk about because, like, the way the story goes, it's not really, it's not really much of a spoiler. For those who don't know, Essex is a reference to a character named Nathaniel Essex, who is better known as Mr. Sinister. This character was teased at the end of, what was it, Apocalypse? Uh, yes, I believe so. Uh, during the credits? And so you're left thinking, oh, they're going to really do something with that. And it does nothing with it. I mean, the, 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 this, this quote-unquote evil place could have been called anything. It didn't have to be called Essex at all. And uh, I really feel like they dropped the ball there. Before we get into spoilers and final thoughts, for those who haven't seen the film, what, how would you sum up your, your feelings and how would you rate the movie? Does the good outweigh the bad? Yes. Things that pissed me off don't piss me off at the end so hmm, interesting i think it's worth going to go see especially if you are a marvel fan okay i think there's a lot of fun stuff that happens for you if you're an x-men fan yeah i'm sorry i hit a blank that being said i look forward to speaking about spoilers is it a, up there with black panther and avengers no. or any other superhero no, film th- you've seen recently look listen i th- it's deadpool i think he gets his own category no matter what his film did it's a superhero film either way uh-huh. I, I think it's a deadpool film was is it as good as the first one no okay i would agree i would give this especially the more i think about the stuff that we're going to talk about give the film a six out of ten maybe i would say a five Ooh. there's laughs very mediocre and then there's <laughs> and then there's spoilers to talk about yeah yeah, so a lot of fun, problematic, but a lot of fun. And I agree, if you're an X-Men fan, you won't want to miss it because there's a lot of uh, fun to be had with it, just on that level alone. 
Okay, now we are going to dive into some uh, big spoiler spoiler territory here. This is spoilers for Deadpool 2. If you have not seen the movie, check out the timestamps and skip to the review of Solo, A Star Wars Story, now. All right, Shanna, so there's a couple gone? of things we have to talk about. Are they gone? <laughs> I, I hope so. Um, should we work up to the big one or should we talk about the big one first? I'm going to talk now. Okay, so let's talk about the big yeah. one. I'm going to let you go first. Okay. So I was really looking forward to this film. I was, I was very excited. Mm-hmm. I was like, honey, I got off work early. Let's go. Yes. That's how excited I was. Yes. I'll support Deadpool and all his craziness. And Ryan sure. Reynolds deserves to be supported. All those feelings yeah. disappeared the moment when Vanessa died. I began to hate the film. Mm. And I, I, I felt violently offended. You know, you have to understand that good films are going to run along with societal changes. They're going to comment on things that are happening in society. Um, this is not helpful to the next wave of feminism that we have occurring with the hashtag Me Too and Time's Up. This feels like a fridging. It felt like a betrayal. I could see any other superhero film doing this. I did not see it coming with Deadpool. And I thought, okay, I'm really fucking angry right now. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're going to make a comment on the next wave of feminism and it'll be okay because they're going to use it as a society, like a comment on society. And they did not. So I was very upset and it took me a very long time in the film to laugh again mm-hmm. when yeah. everyone else around me was laughing and having a good time. And I was like, how is no one else outraged about this really rookie right. old as fuck mistake? Yeah. They could have done any other number of things. Sure. If, if they didn't, you know. Or, or at least comment on it. That's, if, I, if I may, that was... On, on the one hand, you know, I was waiting and seeing, expecting a movie like this to play it, to, to somehow, like, take it back or act like it's a joke or, you know, do something to play with the trope. That's a good idea. Way, right? Like, like Deadpool so, could have said, just kidding, we're not like Harvey Weinstein, we're not going to fridge her. They could totally could have done that. I don't think Harvey Weinstein actually literally fridged anybody. Okay, but... I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Mix the mix the societal messages. Okay. Do what you want. Um, but <laughs> God, but um. I mean, he did silence people. Okay. Jokes aside, Fair... he did silence people. Fair enough. And now we'll come back. Fair enough. And, and, and at first, I was starting to try to intellectualize it. Like, okay, well, what we see is. He reacts to it. He wants to kill himself. Usually, fridging is a trope that's used to propel a character forward, mm. to make a character, you know, go into action. Well, he actually goes into inaction. He gets depressed. He wants to kill himself. He he realizes he can't kill himself, and then the rest of the story kicks in. But no, <laughs> as much as you try to do intellectual uh, gymnastics, even Marina Baccarin, I have a, a quote here. From from Bustle, 
that uh, she said oh, in an a, interview. That's a good that source. They actually ask her about uh, her character being fridged. And uh, the thing is, she admits it, but she doesn't necessarily think that it's a bad thing in this particular instance. Here's what she says. It's about Wade finding out where his heart is and without her. He doesn't have that story. The film doesn't happen without her. I think what's great about this movie is that it goes to all these places that people don't dare to usually. To strip away the love interest immediately upon them being together is so devastating, and it's kind of the only way to give Wade such a genuine arc in the movie. So I'm glad that they were so bold, and also equally as glad that there is a way out. There's a way out referring to how in the post credit sequence they undo her death, well, if I remember correctly. we will get to that. Right? And then the, the article I have here at Slash Filmcast, uh, Slash Film, includes comments from the screenwriters who claim complete ignorance of fridging. They say that they do admit that the plot development probably wasn't the, quote, um, not the wisest thing to do on a purely tactical screenwriting basis. They also say that it wasn't something that they thought about. They always had in the back pocket that they could always bring Vanessa back if necessary, so they ran with it, and they don't think that it's a large concern. It, it, it didn't really occur to them. So you could definitely okay. react to that. Oh, yeah, so that alone. So here's the thing. You're making <laughs> a film of the superhero comic book culture. Yeah. Don't tell me that you don't know what fridging is and don't claim ignorance and you know the thing is they just tied themselves in knots right there because <laughs> what they did what you also just quoted is oh you know we could always bring her back if we need to right well you know what you riders over there you're the fridgers which so, by the way i will i will interject just briefly to say that ryan reynolds was initially against her coming back he didn't. He didn't think that it was That's wise. Well, no. Hear me out. Okay. Hear me out. Hear me out. All right. For one second. He he didn't think it was a smart idea to undo everything that the that the the movie previously was about. Because you're basically saying that everything you just saw doesn't matter. From a from a story standpoint, uh, that's legit. Um, that's a legit comment and concern to make. You know, to basically take away everything that you just did in, in a movie. I think what your your points are, criticizing the screenwriters, I think that's totally fair. I think it's fair to question the legitimacy and the validity of what they're saying. I think it is a little surprising. They're so irreverent in other ways, but they're not irreverent enough to know or be aware of fridging. Yes, <laughs> the thing. You can always play with time travel. Time travel gives you an excuse for that, and... Things can be fixed. Like, don't... No. Okay. I, so, think, yeah. I, think, I think that's problematic. Because if anything can be fixed, then you're saying nothing matters. And that really cheapens your story. When, when you can just go in and fix anything with time travel. So I'm glad, actually, in that article also it's quoted... The, they speak to the whole time travel thing. By the way, there's time travel in this movie. We didn't make that clear before. They speak to it and they say, don't expect it to be relied on again. 
because from a screenwriting standpoint, it is the laziest form of writing. Uh, you can just undo anything that happens. Moving on. So I was fairly rigid for a while, and then I had this realization. Okay. You know, I, I know almost as much as you about cable. And I had a realization of, oh, fuck, there's going to be time travel in this film. Okay, we're okay. She's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. Now I can continue to enjoy this film. Okay. That was the only saving grace was, okay, everything is actually going to be okay. I can sit and enjoy this film now. It took me a while to get to that point because I was considering walking out and and just getting an Uber home jeez because i couldn't believe that they they just did that and then remembering that cable has access to time travel i was like okay everything everything's gonna be okay Hmm. he says he can travel you know to get you and then to to do one more thing within time everything's gonna be all right so then i started enjoying the film again okay any other issues you had with the movie that we can talk about now so what i didn't like in addition to what we just talked about was you know the juggernaut is in this film and that's very exciting yes but what's not exciting is shoving electricity up his bum (laughs) okay like right up there that was a bit much for me i don't need to see juggernaut in that way (laughs) right yeah but that was the character i was referring to before that was a big surprise they referred to a big guy i was thinking maybe it was going to be Sabretooth that was locked up I really had no, no idea, and I certainly didn't expect it to be Juggernaut. And he's very well portrayed. You know, he's not given a lot to do other than, like... Be himself? Be violent. <laughs> but there's at least a, a, a comment that acknowledges his familial relationship to Professor X. That alone is a huge improvement to what they did in Lex Man and the Last Stand with the character. So, I liked um, the Juggernaut thing. Can we I talk mean- about X-Force? Well, I also just wanted to say briefly that things that I liked were the little surprises and uh-huh. the cameos, like the appearance of, well, okay, we'll get to that, but, you know, when Deadpool is going around the school and he's like, why is no one here? And then in the in the uh, office, oh, you see the all the characters school. and he's like, why can't yes. Marvel throw us a bone? Yes, <laughs> yes. It was just very fun watching Beast. Like kind they of, did Spider-Man, yeah. Yeah, and Beast is kind of like, I'm just going to, right here yeah (laughs) so that was enjoyable that was awesome that was awesome x-force yeah let's do it okay and then we should wrap up because we we have a whole star wars movie we need to talk about first of all really brilliant honestly when you think about it in hindsight um they chose the lamest and most obscure characters to make a team out of you have bedlam I can't remember his first name. Basically, it's Bedlam, played by Terry Crews, who's an obscure character introduced in Age of Apocalypse storyline. You have Shatterstar, who they actually acknowledge is from another dimension, which I couldn't believe they mentioned the Mojoverse. (laughs) And then you have Vanisher, who's an obscure 60s character that they that they play with i thought the vanisher was just going to be one gag uh, with the interviews no they go further with it and then you have the guy who played pennywise in it forgive me his name escapes me uh right now 
but he plays like some other obscure character who spits toxic toxic shit and they all yeah and then like they go on a um on a mission with peter with peter right (laughs) and all except for domino dies because domino is the one with the luck right that's her power she well, and Deadpool regenerates, so that's right, why he's there. Right, and he just, like, I think he slams into a billboard or something, and that's it, mm-hmm. or something. But meanwhile, he watches his entire team die. Um, <laughs> and it was hilarious, because you think, oh, they're forming X-Force, and X-Force is going to be the rest of the movie, and that's how they're going to spin off into an X-Force movie, because they are. Um, not at all. Not in the gotcha. least. It's It's pretty brilliant and hilarious especially when you think about a who they cast in the roles brad pitt ends up being the vanisher <laughs> uh, he gets electrocuted and also b when you think about oh like they basically chose like the most disposable characters in the comics for the most part to do this gag and of course they're not going to last because they're kind of the lamest so i, I thought i was i was thoroughly satisfied with the um x-force gag did you have any thoughts about it? After just like healing from the death of uh-huh. um, Vanessa, you know, Domino walks in and Deadpool has like no problem hiring all the men that he just hired. I mean, oh, he yeah. hires Peter. Right. And then he hires oh, Vanisher, even though Vanisher is possibly not even fucking there. Right. <laughs> right. And then when Domino walks in, he's like, nah, 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 where's your credentials? Right, he's and like, luck rid- is not a power. Asking ridiculous questions. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh man, you guys are hurting me. <laughs> like, that uh, really hurts. Uh. I had to move past that because I did want to have a good time, but I, I would not be a feminist if I didn't mention that that did hurt a little bit. Sure. I, I don't think men are being hurt <laughs> in this film, so had to mention that about X-Force. That does remind me, most of the gore in this movie, I have found, come, it comes from Deadpool's injuries. There's some exceptions, I mean, there's some exceptions, but, like, most of the gore comes from Deadpool getting really fucked up, with or without his powers. To clarify, he does occasionally wear an inhibitor collar, that takes uh, takes away his healing powers. Man, that was that was interesting to play with. Yeah. So, real quick shout outs before final thoughts. I forgot. Black Tom makes an appearance in this movie. If you're a fan of the X Men, you know Black Tom is Black Tom Cassidy. He's related to Sean Cassidy, also known as Banshee, a character that made it to the movies in uh, X Men First Class. That was really cool. Uh, actually, not nearly as many cameo uh, opportunities as I thought there would be, given you have a bunch of mutants locked up. <laughs> I really thought it was like, oh, all hell's going to break loose. You're going to see all these recognizable powers and things. No. Nope. 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 Not nope, even, nope. Not even a mutated skin texture. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Nothing no. for us. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I don't know if I have anything really else to add uh how about you shanna shall we do final thoughts you know you forgot to mention i know you missed it but it was quite a lovely stan lee mural that they had it was very pretty it was very big you know if you're not paying attention to the cityscape you will miss it but it was nice that they had something for stan lee i don't remember if he appeared in the last deadpool movie i don't either 
Honestly. Um, I mean, he doesn't really have anything to do with Deadpool. Um, Deadpool oh, okay. debuted in the 90s, way beyond when Got Stanley it. was Well, writing. it was still a lovely little love letter Yeah. of mural art. Uh, yeah, I wish I saw that. Oh, so what huh? made me totally okay with the film? Yeah, because I'm yeah. really surprised. You seem to be viscerally angry at this movie. I mean, Yet I you am. said that like the good outweighed the bad? Because you are going to have a laugh. Uh-huh. Okay, yeah. but does that really outweigh the problems that you had with it and the, and the the feelings that you had with it? So the time travel thing happens and Vanessa's no longer fridged. There's this moment where Vanessa and Wade are together in that sort of, I guess you could call it the waiting space. You know? Some sort of an afterlife thing. Yeah, but I feel like it's a waiting space. It's not the final, mm. you know, step. And there's this moment, you know, she's got her, you know, how I read it is maybe different to how other people read it. It's certainly different to how you read it. But she has that barrier up. And once Wade gets his heart in the right place, she lets, she brings Wade into that barrier. And it just felt like she can't cross over it, even though she stuck her Mm -hmm. hand out to pull him in. It feels like she can't leave that barrier. Mm. The moment that time is changed via what Cable did for Wade, that's when she crosses through that supposed barrier. Okay, and why is that significant to you? Because it makes me feel like she's closer to the living because I feel like that barrier was just an extra step to the dead because when Wade gets pulled in there, I don't think it's just because his heart is in the right place. It's also because he's, like, dead, technically. Right, you know, right. so that's why she, he's in there with her, yeah. not at a distance, not mm. separated. Mm. And then she pushes him away because he's he's supposed to go back to his body, and then, uh, you know, once that nickel is or whatever it is, you know, is in his pocket, that means that he's going to come back, which means he's going to change the timeline. And so, you know, before he leaves her, he says, "Well, come here." And I felt like that was an invitation. It wasn't like a let me come to you. I felt like it was an invitation to come back to life. Okay. And maybe I'm reading too much into it because I was so enraged about what happened earlier in the film. So that really got me because it was like they were fixing their mistake. Hmm. So I'm just going to pretend that that's what's happening. Okay. Yeah, I think um, I think that we'll end it there. So that's our review of Deadpool 2. I think regardless of where we see Saw in, in our thoughts of the movie, it, it's definitely one that you'll that uh, we have mixed feelings about. Uh, going with guarded expectations, I suppose. Yeah? Well, yeah. And if you're against fridging, if you're aware of what fridging is, just be prepared to experience that. Yeah, maybe avoid it. <laughs> Spare yourself some anger. If you are listening to spoilers, why are you here if you haven't seen the film? Yeah. What do you think about Deadpool 2? Email us at thekipsonreview at gmail.com. Uh, we really need to get to Solo, a Star Wars story. So, here we go. I've been running scams on the street since I was 10. flight academy for having a mind of my own 
King. I'm putting together a crew. You in? That's yes. I might be the only person. Who knows? What you really are. from the trailer to Solo, A Star Wars Story. All right, so Solo is basically about a younger Han Solo and his background and origin, how he came to meet Chewbacca, Lando Calrissian, and, and the Millennium Falcon. Basic premise. Shanna. It's really a bromance. Yeah. Sort of. It could have been. I don't know. So, Shanna, do you want to start us off with your general thoughts on what you thought was good about Solo, a Star Wars story? Sure, I can do that. Okay. I was not offended by this film. (laughs) That's an interesting start. (laughs) Okay. Well, we've just talked about Deadpool, so... So, let's keep moving on Mm. from comparing with that. Yeah, yeah. What I liked about this film was the energy they kept things going there weren't really any moments where i was bored Mm. the cinematography was was okay Mm. it wasn't phenomenal Mm. there's one or two scenes where they're they're doing a nice little special effect that we've that i don't believe we've seen before in the star wars universe and what is that it's the where the the mountain explodes oh okay yeah yeah i really enjoyed seeing that Mm mm-hmm I was expecting a lot more destruction because it was like a whole, it was like a whole, oh. it was a whole section of explosive uh-huh. stuff and okay. I was expecting more, Gotcha. but it was still interesting how they expanded that energetic wave mm. and had it suck. So that was cool. How did I feel about the characters? I enjoyed the new ones. So the new ones being uh, Kira, Beckett, and Val L337. Yes, I believe L3 is possibly my favorite character in this film. Rio. Mm-hmm. I rather enjoyed her snippiness and okay. fast comebacks with Lando, and it makes sense that Lando would have a Lando would have a droid, you know, with that okay. kind of uh, personality around him. And I enjoyed that she was fighting for something that was important to her equal rights (laughs) for droids so Mm. that was really interesting and i wouldn't mind seeing a film about that Mm. it could have social commentary about what society is like right now it Mm. could be really interesting did i need to see what formed han solo not really Mm. did i want to see more about chewbacca yes Mm. finding out his age was exciting Mm. So and what did that do for you? I mean, like, why why was it exciting to learn Chewbacca's age? Well, he's older than, like, a turtle. <laughs> okay. Tortoise, whatever it is. Sea okay. turtle. Uh-huh. So that was really interesting. I mean, he looks brand spanking new, you know, mm. from my untrained eyes. I liked the reveal. I liked how they met each other and how they formed their bond. And mm. that was really interesting. And I liked exploring another planet, a mining colony 
planet. Okay. That was exciting just to see, you know, what's involved with that. Mm. So I like this film. Okay. I liked the ending. Okay. I liked the reveals and twists and whatever. And that's all I've got to say about that, I guess, from the liking perspective. Yeah, that's about all you liked. Okay. Uh, I'm going to say first that if you listen to the summer movie preview or even the 2017 or 2018 preview, I think we talk about this movie and how I had zero interest in this film, mostly because I really didn't care to learn about Han Solo's history. You know, I, I feel like everything we need to know about the character is really established in the original Star Wars film, A New Hope. That's the Han I know and love and, and, and care about. That's the Han that I, I was crestfallen about his demise in Force Awakens. I don't need to know more. I know everything that they say. Like, I don't need to see the Kessel Run and all that sort of stuff. So, and, and the trailers didn't win me over either, right? So, here's the thing. The movie delivers on everything the trailer gives you. So, that said, there are a few things I liked about it. I liked some of the some of the characters that they introduce. L337 played by someone I'm not familiar with named Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who's apparently had a couple Netflix series, very British gal. She was great. I I had no idea who was voicing that character, and I was like, wait a minute, is that Gwendolyn Christie? Did they have Captain Phasma voice this robot? Because she sounds very similar. Mm. <clears throat> but that, that character is very entertaining and such. I liked Amelia Clark, but I think it's more because... There's something about Amelia Clark as an actress that was that's engaging to the camera. I don't think it's so much about the character itself uh, that she plays, Kira, that I liked. I think it's more her talents as an actress, mm-hmm. what she's doing with the what she's able to do with the material. And that's mostly it. I mean, Chewbacca, Chewbacca has an inherent appeal about. They could do almost anything with Chewbacca, except for the holiday special, and you will I was love. Say they can even do that. All right, you will love and be excited to see Chewbacca, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think I needed to see any of what we see in this movie, though. But I'll I'll, I'll get more into that later. There are some exciting, uh, there are a couple, I should say, exciting sequences. Mm-hmm. I will say exactly what I thought when Ron Howard stepped in. And filled Lord and Miller's shoes, who were fired off of this project, late in the project. Ron Howard is competent. He will make a very competent product. That's what that's what we get. So, there's nothing about the special effects that is lacking. There is nothing about the set design that is lacking. He finished a Star Wars movie. That's what he did. We'll get into the rest of my thoughts in the next section. Shanna, you liked the film quite a bit, it sounds like, yeah? Yeah, I mean, I wasn't completely in love with it. I'd say it's like a six. Okay. Just because it has interesting things happening and nothing offends me. Okay. 
What, if anything, didn't you like about the movie? What was the bad? What didn't work for you? Han Solo is not my favorite Star Wars character. Like in general or in this movie? In general. In the Star Wars universe, he's not my favorite. Does he do magical things in Force... Awakens? Awakens. Yeah. And that kind of made me fall in love with him. Nothing Mm. else that he's done in the past has made me think that oh this is an amazing character i mean he works within within the team do you love him more having seen this movie or less i don't think it changes my feelings about him okay force awakens changed my feelings right right but this is obviously this was conceived after force awakens it was meant to dive in uh and, and enrich the character more Okay, if anyone has not seen Force Awakens, this is your own fault. But <laughs> why would you kill him and then bring his origin story? I don't like that. I mm. think it's a little manipulative from the movie industry. Okay. Unless, you know, I, I know he's a favorite for a lot of people. Sure. And he represents a lot of things. But you had a good point. You said everything you need to know about Han is in the rest of the Star Wars movies. And you're right. Like... If anything, this film helped me better put together those pieces of him. Not because of this film, mm-hmm. but because of seeing this and then remembering everything I already know. Mm. So it was kind of just like a, a like a. a so the movie offering. was basically just trying to remind you. Oh, remember yeah. that thing about Han? Yeah, that sort of it's thing. It's all like reminders. Gotcha. Okay. And you see that as a flaw, or a, it's to the detriment of the movie. I think. It's it's just movie industry sharks. It's not very sharky, okay. but but it is a little. So are you saying that of all the, the Star Wars movies, this one felt the most shallow? Yeah, look, Rogue One. Mm-hmm. Rogue One is very different, mm-hmm. but yeah. it builds what the what that universe looks like. Yes, that's true. Prior to many things. Sure. So it has a very specific purpose. Yes. Solo film? Not really. Okay. Like, if anything, maybe we could have, and I'm just throwing stuff out there, but maybe we could have a Chewy film, and it shows when he's like a teen, and we see really what the world, what that universe was like at that time. I can't imagine just a subtitled (laughs) movie, or not subtitled as usually is the case. Okay, but think think of Planet of the Apes with Andy Circus. Yeah, they're talking in English. But they do do sign, sign language, language. And, yeah, which, and all of that. You know. And that could be really interesting. You know, it could be. Okay. It could be. All right. What else didn't you like about the movie? I don't think I have anything else that's unspoiler, like non-spoilery. Okay. So. Here we go, folks. <laughs> Hold on tight. You know, I, I said this movie delivers on what the trailer gives you, and it does that. And by that, I mean a very bland Star Wars film. I... I agree. I, I really honestly did not care what I was seeing. And I was really wanting to care. I was really hoping to care. I, uh, all the way through the train heist and everything, that's in, I don't know, the first half hour of the movie or something. Like, I didn't care about this team, really. The, the other thing is that, that there's so many things that started to really bug me. The movie does blatant references to the character. And makes a big deal out of certain things as though you needed. You have been begging to know all of these years. Where did those, what's the deal with those dice? Or, you know, 
where did those things come from? How did he get his blaster? You know, these these things that are fairly innocuous, they're just a part of the character, but you don't really, like, I never really was clamoring to know all these things, right? It really tries hard to do these sorts of things. I didn't at all like how the, their conception of how Chewie and Han met. That felt... Oh, you didn't like that? No, no, I, I was... Uh, it felt a little obvious. It felt a little ridiculous. Oh, the you know, I can't. I guess get specific about it, but mm, okay. that was that just did not work for me. The team didn't work for me. There's a character that dies ten minutes after you meet him, and I think he's a, he's meant to be kind of humorous and engaging and charismatic, but I felt nothing for him. Well, and he felt a bit baity as well because if you hear he has this. I don't think this is spoilery. He has this wish to open a cantina. Oh, I didn't even think of it. Uh, yeah, okay. And yeah. it's like, oh, is that going to be, oh, apparently. Right. No. Apparently not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's I, not what that's going to be. And he's not the only character that dies early in the movie, but you're not really given much time to really care about these characters. It's complete opposite of Rogue One, where they introduce yes. this team of characters. And during the course of two hours, you actually grow to care about these characters and their fates. I do not feel that so much in this movie at all. So the references, the attempts, I I had said earlier in previous episodes, and I think I said this on social media, that trying to portray Han Solo is a huge disservice to any actor who attempts it. Because... Harrison Ford as Han Solo is so iconic. It's just as iconic as uh, Indiana Jones. It's just as iconic as Deckard from Blade Runner. So Harrison Ford has something about him in that in that way. Yeah, in those characters, you know, mm-hmm. these are iconic '80s characters, and so anybody else stepping into those roles it's automatically going to do them a disservice because they are always going to act, uh, come off like someone pretending to be these characters. And and I was not proven wrong by Alden Ehrenreich, who's fairly new to us. We've mentioned him before. He was in Hail Caesar as the uh, country actor. <laughs> Just tries and he's Love that character, by yeah. the way. And he, was, he was good in that film. But yeah. in this movie... I don't think he pulls it off. I never see the Han I know in this character, uh, no matter how they try, how hard they try. Do you think he was kind of like, it was like he was too mild? There was nothing crazy or cowboy I think there's, there's, like about him? To a degree, part of the problem is he's too vanilla. Okay. Also, though, I think the part itself is working against him. Well, if I, that makes sense. I don't blame him for any of this. You know? I think it is the rare talent that is able to transcend the the original person who's made that character iconic. Hmm. So it is a very high bar. I don't th- I don't I don't think he succeeded at all. And he did not. I think this is the biggest crime. He did not make me care about this story. And in some ways, he's probably the least interesting. Yes. character 
of the entire movie, which is a huge problem when your movie is called Solo. Oh, that's another thing. I didn't like that they made up an origin for his name also. That was mm. a little ham-fisted and, and silly. Like, wait, they speak with a Latin in this galaxy? Like, it's... it's well, even though they do have British work. accents. Well, there's that. But I thought the third act gets way too double-crossy and twisty to really engage and follow and care. Boy, oh boy, what else? I didn't like anything that they did with the Millennium Falcon. They're, they're, that's another thing. They're trying... Are you serious? Uh, yeah, let me explain. Let me explain. This is another thing. They're trying to explain how the Millennium Falcon came to look the way you know the Millennium Falcon to look. And is that necessary? No. To me, the Millennium Falcon is the Millennium Falcon has always been the Millennium Falcon. Just let it be the Millennium Falcon. I don't need to know that it has an escape pod that got used, which, by the way, was used pointlessly. It was literally just for the purpose of making the ship look like how we know it to look the entire sequence when where that happens like i i realized afterwards oh it parts of the millennium falcon are being torn off just so you can see oh there's circles that's how those circles came to be Mm. you know the 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 gun well you don't actually i mean Apparently, the blaster, the, the turret gun that we see in the, in the movies is not the original turret gun. We had to have an, a, a different turret gun. And for us to learn, it's just all these things, just one after another, felt unnecessary. And I barely cared. And that is one of the biggest crimes against someone like me who is a Star Wars fan. I will go with you to a certain extent, but... You gotta know what you're doing, I guess. And I, I, it's a shame when we've gotten Force Awakens, we've gotten Rogue One, we've gotten Last Jedi, everything has been just batting a thousand. And this concept that I really questioned from the start still was not able to, to keep the run that we're going. I have a question. Go ahead. You talk about how you were not clamoring to know certain things, like where the blaster came from. Right. How the Millennium Falcon looks the way it does. Right. Was there anything you were clamoring to find out? Well, no, because again, everything I need to know about this character, I again, I think that's the problem. Like, if if Lucasfilm, if Kathleen Kennedy is going to continue making spin-off Star Wars movies, we really need to move away from the original characters. Yes. I because I do not need an Obi-Wan Kenobi origin story. I do not need a Han Solo origin story, and this movie is proof of that. Hmm. There are many other planets, yes. galaxies to yes. explore. Yes, Rogue One, like you said, it really kind of opened up this world a little bit more. Well, let's let's step away even further and see. I mean, the books did this. Why the fuck can't we do this in the movies? We will go along with it. And I know that they are. I know that Ryan Johnson got approved to make his own trilogy off of whatever the fuck he wanted. It's not based on a particular character. And I think someone else, too. Maybe, I don't know, Star Wars series? I don't know what. But I know that they will. But I, whenever I hear these news, we're going to make a, a Yoda movie. We're going to make a Boba Fett movie. We're going to make an Obi-Wan movie. We're going to make a Han Solo. I'm not pleased about I don't need the Boba Fett. None of it. I'm I mean, not pleased. If, if you're, from my perspective, if you're going to do anything with an established character at all, he is probably the most mysterious and most interesting and probably the only one that I would be remotely interested in seeing more of. 
But I don't need to see Obi-Wan. I saw the fucking prequels, and I saw the original series. Is there an Obi-Wan coming? Mm, I th- there's been I a really lot. Hope I think not. possibly, yeah. So, not to make us run long, but let's... Shall we move into spoilers? Yeah, sure. Okay. So, if you haven't seen Solo, I don't recommend it in terms of does the good way outweigh the bad. The good does not out- at all outweigh the bad. There's very little that I really, really got caught up in and, and enjoyed in this movie. I give it probably a 4 out of 10. Oh. How about you, Shanna? I would recommend this for young ones. I don't want to like squash the, the historical sequence of how to view the Star Wars films. Yeah. But maybe this isn't a bad intro film for a young kid. So mm. that the young kid is like, oh, you know, I appreciate this. And, and it's, it's mostly safe, a safe film. Where does this rank for you in, on all the Star Wars movies? This is at the... Oh, there's prequels. Um, <laughs> you almost said this is at the bottom for yeah, you. I but you're recommending it. I was that. like, wait, what? Because it's not bad for young kids, mm. you know, as an intro film. Mm. And I think that they would appreciate it. But for Star Wars fans, I don't think it's the best Okay. So I guess... Is it I'm, better than the prequels for you? I don't know. <laughs> okay. I think they're in the same category. We're just going to stick Ooh, them over there. Ouch. And that is interesting. For me, like, the prequels suffered because they're, way, they're over-CGI'd and the script was bad. In this one, I think just the script was bad. Period. So I would put this just above the prequels as a, like, very... Very not good, but mediocre. I could go with you on you that. Know? But yeah. in no way is it as good as any of the original trilogy, including Return of the Jedi, or any of the last three films we've gotten. So if you don't want to hear anything more about Solo, A Star Wars Story, you want to go in yourself, see what you think, then you want to skip, because we're going to go into spoilers for Solo, A Star Wars Story, now. Shanna, what do you want to talk about that's spoilery? I like the twist at the end. I liked. Which one? Oh yes, several. Yes. There were lots of little twists. Yeah. Which I like that that okay. we were twisting back and forth. That felt more like Han Solo than anything else. Okay, so to recount, we have the twist where we learn that mm-hmm. Beckett, played by Woody Harrelson, actually betrayed them last minute. We have the twist where we learn that somehow the plan that Solo comes up with is to. Not actually have the MacGuffin, whatever the fuck you call those vials, mm-hmm. um, actually with the Marauders. I don't even know what they are really. Well, they're not Marauders. They established that they're the. Apparently, they're the start of the rebellion. Apparently. Or at least a part of the rebellion. Yeah. Uh, uh. <laughs> we have that reveal, and then we have Amelia Clark's reveal. Her twist, Kira's twist. Which twist did you like? So I enjoyed Amelia Clark's. Twist. Really? I I really did. You know okay. what? It's not bad for a woman to be on the dark side. It's actually refreshing sure. and enjoyable to mm, see. Yeah. And if anyone was going to go to the dark side, like that's the actress I'd want to see. Mm. And you know, she was very composed throughout the movie. Her character yes. was very calm. Yes. Her character was very cold and calculated. I mean, she was smiling when she saw Han, but maybe what she was really thinking was, I really want to stab you for leaving me on that godforsaken planet. You know, I kind of expected that, but I don't ever get anything in the third act that, is, that lets us believe that. I think she actually does feel strongly for Han, 
but too much time has gone by. She's had too much experience. She's really too much in the thick of, She's the, not that of the empire. Anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I I knew that okay, they're gonna have to explain her away somehow. But I, I expected her to die. In fact, even when Yes. Even when uh Paul Bettany's character, Paul Bettany, who also plays Vision, by the way. I know how you got excited his, when I saw that. Even when he died, I was expecting, yeah. like, because the close up was so much on her, I expected a surprise stab in the back. Well, you I know? thought He's so not too, because dead. she didn't kick the weapons away. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. So I was I will give the movie credit. It was a little surprising that she decided to take over from where he's at. And mildly surprised, though I wasn't excited, Darth Maul uh, makes a reveal. I thought it was going to be the Empire or the Emperor. I was like, oh, wow, the Emperor sounds terrible in this movie. But it ends up actually it's... being Darth Maul, which they acknowledge what happens in, I guess, Star Wars Clone Wars series, where Darth Maul actually is revealed to be alive and he, like, has half a robot. Like, half his so body like is a robot. So like all the other evil people, yeah. Which I always had Dark experience side. about. But they acknowledge that in this movie. And she's reporting and working with Darth Maul. I don't know what happens with that. I guess you have to watch Clone Wars or Rebels or something. I'm know. interested in that story. <clears throat> I'm more interested in that <clears throat> than what I saw on the screen today. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A.K.A. Han. <laughs> Just... I really enjoyed Lando. Yeah, we haven't even talked about Donald Glover. I know. He actually does pull off Lando for me. I actually liked his Lando. Yeah. Yeah, I felt less like he was pretending to be Lando than I did Alden pretending to be Han, if that makes any sense. I mean, Donald Glover is a total full-on geek, and so he was relishing this. He must have had so much fun. Yeah, yeah, and he he, he pulls it off pretty well. You know, I'd asked you if there was anything you were yearning to know. Yeah. I've always yearned to know more about Chewbacca. And I appreciated uh, that little sentence that they had explaining that what Chewie's going to do with his cut is help free his people uh, because all his people were enslaved. I hear you, but I'm also really hoping that's not supposed to be a tease to an actual Chewbacca movie because I think oh God, that could I will be, be the first one there. disastrous, actually. Um, oh, that was another thing I hated. Han speaking Wookiee. That I don't see why not. That was so awful. I it was see why not. so awful. It oh, was so on. bad. And you had subtitles. They've never done this ever in the history well, of Star Wars Well, that's why they just before. kept it with Han. Uh, it's always been like, oh, people understand him. They can speak and, and he can understand English or whatever. Just keep with that because it was so silly when he's trying to speak Wookiee. Like, it's just like anybody on a talk show trying to do a Chewbacca impression. You know, it just came off so silly. I don't agree. Okay. I had a lot of fun with that moment. Okay. So, it's one of my few fun moments, so I'm just going to keep that here with my happy <laughs> happy cycle okay. right here. All right. And Fair enough. I, I, I have already spoken how I enjoyed all three. It was sad that she died. I always feel like droids are so disposable, but then she kind of lives on, I guess. I Three. guess. Oh, she's the navigation computer. Oh, that's a, the, the Millennium a Falcon. Strong female droid has been subjected to a hole. Ah, so, that's terrible, honey. No, but it really is. If you think about it. Oh my gosh. Um, no, yeah. As if we needed to uh, explain how the Millennium Falcon has a navigational computer and how cool it is. Oh boy, I, I don't have anything else. I think I kind of ticked off all the major boxes that uh, just really. I don't want to say frustrated. It didn't anger me. 
but really just kind of lived up to my expectations were, were pretty low. I think it's best to go into a movie like this with very low expectations. I mean, come on, we kind Which of is... went in with, like, we kept our expectations at bay when we saw Force Awakens. Everybody was trying to, like, protect themselves, you know? I went in with a completely different experience with Force Awakens. I did not at all think, oh, well, this is pointless, so I'm... You know, I doubt this will be good. I was all in with Force Awakens, and I was hopeful that it would be at least as good as the original trilogy, and it exceeded my expectations. Mm. This one I could see a mile away was going to be fairly... And it was, which is a huge disappointment. So, but, regardless, you recommend the movie? I liked it. I, I did not like Han. I liked everybody else. So that's the reason I would go watch it. Watch it for everybody else, Shanna says. I say skip it unless you are a diehard Star Wars fan and you got to scratch that itch. Uh, but be warned, you're likely to be disappointed. What are your thoughts, though, on Solo, a Star Wars story? Email us at thegibsonreview at gmail.com. Shanna, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me at shannapaxton.com, S-H-A-N-N-A-P-A-X-T-O-N. And all my social media channels are listed there if you prefer a specific platform. Very cool. So go to the Gibson Review to find past articles, the original film fave stuff, and other episodes on there. You can go to Facebook, the Gibson Review, to find also links to these episodes third-party links, and past mini-reviews. Also, you can go to iTunes and SoundCloud, subscribe to keep up with all these episodes of The Movie Lovers, and go to Flickchart, the Gibson 99, uh, to engage with me or find me and my list of movies I've, I've seen. There are somewhere around 3,100 movies on there. Next time on... I'm not bragging. <laughs> Yeah, I guess it does sound a little bit it. like no, right. I think it's really cool. <laughs> Why isn't it 5,000? Yeah, I don't know. But that is a lot of movies. Next time on The Movie Lovers, we we'll will be... We'll do something really fun. Well, Film Face will come back. We're going to talk about our favorite movies of 1998. And then, for our main event, I think, you know, if we can catch Ocean's 8 or Hotel Artemis, that's great. I think it'll probably be in our weekend review. But I think we're going to look at the year so far and see what the best and the worst is so far in the year, which also means we have some catching up to do because there's some comedies and stuff we have not caught up with. So hopefully we'll be able to get to that. That episode you can look for on the 12th of June. In the meantime, keep loving the movies. And this is Jeff and Shanna saying bye-bye.